welcome to the Public Library Podcast. Shh, sorry. Here's your host and podcast librarian, award-winning poet, future best-selling author, and host of one of the most listened-to radio shows in America, Helen Little. Hello, book lovers, and welcome to another episode of the Public Library Podcast. My guest is no stranger to the show. Fiona Davis is here. Welcome back. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for this book. You know, I have to admit, I've become a super fan. <laughs> this is the it. third time that we've gotten <laughs> together, and each time you you wow me a little bit more. And this book is awesome. The Chelsea Girls. Yeah, yeah, number four. Yes. Tell us what it's about. Sure. So the Chelsea Girls um, takes place in Manhattan. Um, in nineteen in the nineteen starts in the nineteen forties, goes to late nineteen sixties. But it's really about friendship, and it's about two women who meet on USO tour uh, during World War II, and they're part of an all-female acting troupe putting on plays for the soldiers. And they eventually end up in New York City living at the Chelsea Hotel, which is pretty iconic. Yeah. And they're trying to put a play on Broadway during the McCarthy era. Mm. Why did you want to tell this story? You know, it, it's so interesting because all of my other books – I found the setting first and okay. then did research into the buildings, like the Dakota, Grand Central. And that's where the plot and the characters came out of, from that research. But this one, the character came first. I met a woman who was born in 1909 named mm-hmm. Virginia Robinson. And she'd been an actress and had lived during the McCarthy era and, and really suffered under it. And we had this amazing conversation. And the more I talked to her, the more I thought, that's a book. She deserves a book of her own. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So part of your book takes place, as you said, in the in, during the area of McCarthyism. When you were researching this time period, were you surprised at the similarities of some of what we see happening in our country today? It's very interesting how, I, I mean, even on the New York Times just recently, there was something about how there's this new um, anti anti-China red scare going on. Oh, wow. And they used the, the, the term red scare on the front page of the New York Times in the headline. That's um, crazy. Yeah. So the echoes are incredible. Um, and, and it's really about a, a group of people trying to con- consolidate power, which is what the House on american Activities Committee was doing at mm-hmm. that time. And their idea of how to do it was to whip the public into a, a paranoid frenzy yes. about communists in the entertainment industry, which was ridiculous. And what's crazy, there's also a storyline about immigration and an immigrant story when you hear about Maxine's German grandmother and how she was treated. It reminds me of some of what we're doing today. Was that storyline also inspired by today? Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, as I, as I went back and, and researched what was going on during World War II, and just how there was this anti-German sentiment, World War One and World War Two, um, that that just it just seems like we're in these cycles yeah. where over and over again we don't learn from our mistakes. So tell us about the Chelsea Girls. Tell us about these two amazing characters, Hazel Ripley and Maxine Mead. Yeah. So Hazel comes from a, a kind of a big acting family. Her brother was an actor. Her father, and and so she's really part of this um, Broadway industry. Uh, but her nature is not that of an actress. Mm. She's a little more introspective. She's nervous about going on. And, and so she becomes a, a chronic understudy um, for Broadway actresses. And in fact, Virginia Robinson, that's where that came from, was she oh. understudied Faye Ray, Vivian Lee. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I was very inspired by her, clearly. And um, But Maxine's the opposite. 
she is just a powerhouse and she's out to forge her way no matter what. And because of that, I think they're, they, they really connect because they are opposites and they each fulfill a need that the other one needs to, to become a fully rounded person. I, I, I loved both of these women. I liked that Hazel was kind of unassuming, but she had tremendous strength. She had to practice strength in not only in her art, but in her family. And then there was Maxine, who was eye-catching, but sneaky at the same time. <laughs> I, I really I really liked both of them. Um, without giving anything away, one of the things I thought was really interesting is that Maxine was in first person, and Hazel was close third person point of view. Why the different points of view? I knew I wanted to have... Um, Maxine writing a, a diary, okay, and and recording herself that way, um, and and so it, it naturally came out of that 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 the diary entries start each of her chapters and then it goes straight into the the first person, which just felt like a natural segue, and I wanted the reader to feel really close to her, okay, and to get kind of pulled into her personality and her mindset. That could be why it's so interesting. I didn't even think about it while I was reading it. I immediately gravitated towards Maxine more, but I kind of felt like this was really Hazel's story. Yeah. And and that was an interesting thing because it almost felt like I was betraying poor Hazel at times <laughs> because I was hanging out with Maxine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So um, I love that Maxine had a radio show, that she was on the radio. I thought that was cool. Where'd that idea come from? Virginia Robinson. Wow. When she was doing the USO tour, they realized that she spoke German. And so they had her do these broadcasts as Lena from America. And she would list the names of POWs who'd been captured. And it was it was all propaganda. Mm -hmm. It was really a way to get the German soldiers to feel um, worried and, and to get, get them, you know, so that they were weaker than the American soldiers. And she was written up about it in the in the local newspapers when she came back. The power of radio. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Maxine kept a diary. You talked about that. But in the book, you said that that was not allowed. Is that true? Yeah. You weren't supposed to keep notes, you know, like your letters home would be looked through to make sure you weren't giving anything oh. away about the position of where you were in. And and the soldiers had to obey that. But the, the USO tour actresses and actors had to as well. There were a lot of rules that they had to stick to because the main thing was to win the war. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, further in the book, um, Hazel had to make a testimony in Washington. Is that based on something that actually happened? Because she had this strength about her. This, that was one of my favorite moments in the book. She stood up to, especially in an era where women did not stand up to men. You just didn't do it. And politicians in Washington on top of that with Richard Nixon in <laughs> yes. the room. A member of HUAC, yeah. So that was based on someone's act a woman actually doing that or you gave her that power? No, that was based on Lillian Hellman's account of, of what it was like to testify before Oof. HUAC. And she wrote a book on it called okay. Scoundrel Time. And and a lot of what I took was was really inspired by what she went through, and part of the reason why she prevailed in her in her testimony, where so many other people were just, you know, just run over, um, was that she was a woman and she held her own, and so they they didn't know quite what to do with her. Right. And and I loved that that dichotomy. That of, was of, one of my favorite things in the book. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. she's in a weaker position, but she uses that in order to overcome. Yeah, that was great. 
So why don't we take a break, and I would love it if you would do a reading from the Chelsea Girl. I'd love to. Fiction. Non-fiction. Poetry. Reference. Periodicals. The Public Library Podcast. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Emily Liebert, author of Pretty Revenge, and you're listening to the Public Library Podcast. We are back on the Public Library Podcast. My guest today is Fiona Davis, author of The Chelsea Girls, having a wonderful conversation about this book that I so enjoyed. And what are you going to read for us? I'm going to read from the the very first page. It's the prologue. Um, It takes place in New York City in March of 1967. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sets the tone for what this building is all about, the Chelsea Hotel. Okay. In the dead of night, during the dreary month of March, the Chelsea Hotel is a quiet place. The only sound that cuts through the silence is the squeal of a police siren, and that fades fast. Thick walls keep out the everyday noises of one's neighbors, the muffled swears after walking into a bedpost with a bare foot, or the generous moans of lovemaking. The ghosts of the Chelsea hide in the cement-filled brick walls during the day and glide out during the violet hours to keep watch. Over time, their number has accumulated from the refined gentlewoman who left behind four diamond rings to the puffy Welsh poet sinking from alcoholic stupor to coma. The musicians chant quietly with vaporous breath as the former owner hovers mutely by, wringing his hands with worry. One more to come, very soon. If the woman had more courage, she might jump from the roof. That would be the faster method. Instead of the slow slide into oblivion, where every so often a futile panic makes her want to call out, cry for help. But no one would hear, not hear. The ghosts jeer at her and point, but she knows they'll eventually welcome her into the fold. And once she's gone, she too will keep watch over the residents, including her one true friend who will sigh into her pillow as the apparition leans in close for an invisible kiss. Now that makes so much more sense (laughs) to me. Because I was like, okay. I was like, uh, wow. Yeah, the rest of the novel is much more grounded and, and well, in real life. But but I like to start each, I, I divide it in, into three acts. Mm-hmm. And each act has just this small snippet about what, what the ghosts of the Chelsea are doing. But I like the three acts too because that was part of the, the theater theme. And I learned a lot about theater in this book. And that's a part of your background as well. Yes. And how much fun was it to write about not only theater, but theater during this time period. Oh, it was it was great because it really was a heyday of Broadway. There yeah. were so many amazing theaters and plays and playwrights. Um, and so with this play, you know, they're taking a risk, putting this kind of almost a political play on Broadway in the off season. Um, and it was just so much fun to create those characters that surround them because it really is a cooperative effort to put on a play. And there's so many things that can go wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a name of a play, too? Um, yeah, the play that went wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can only imagine, though, that it had to be emotionally difficult to research this book because of the time period and the things that the characters went through in this book. Did you find that to be the case? Yes, because a lot of what I did was based on on interviews with mm-hmm. real people who were in their 90s who'd been through wow. the, the Red Scare in, here in New York in the theater world. I, I spoke with a wonderful acting teacher named Michael Howard. And he talked about what it was like to sit across the table from Clifford Odets, the playwright, over lunch and realize that he had probably named names and probably named him. Mm. And Michael went into teaching instead of acting and, and became a very well-known teacher. But still, that, that side of his career was, was ruined. I spoke with Lee Grant, 
who in 1951 was nominated for an Oscar for her very first film role. But then she was blacklisted for not testifying against her husband before the HUAC and didn't work for 10 years. And so these people's lives were destroyed. And as I read and spoke with people about it, it was it did become emotional. Yeah. I, I mean, you just felt I felt the injustice as I read. And that's the thing that came to my mind. It's like this had to be hard at times to write, especially knowing that you had a background in theater that, you know, it's beautiful. And I, I just imagine the first Tony Awards and being <laughs> televised. And um, I imagined the old theaters at that time because a lot of that's kind of gone now. But I could almost smell the mustiness oh, I love as, it. I, as I was reading. I know. <laughs> oh, I, I got all into it. Good. There was an interesting irony that I spotted in there with Maxine in her fight against capitalism. And she became a super capitalist. You know, was that intentional? Um, yeah. You know, I think she, I, I wanted to show all the different sides. I didn't want it to be one-sided. Okay. So I wanted to, to show that, in fact, there were spies going yeah. in, 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 that the FBI were going after. And there were secrets being stolen, just not by the actors. Yeah. And, and so I wanted to make sure it was well-rounded and, and showed all sides of it, which is why there's a character who, who wants to be an FBI. I like Charlie. Hey, Charlie, yeah, yeah. He was so great. So he's in there kind of. Trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. I liked all the characters. I was there. And even the building was a character, obviously. And you said you picked that second. How did you get to know the Chelsea Hotel? You know, it came to mind pretty quickly. And the more I did research, it was just the perfect building. Because it's kind of this eccentric hot mess of a building mm -hmm. filled with artists and actors and music musicians and painters. Since it was built in 1884, it's just been this hotbed of political and artistic intrigue. And that made sense. And a number of its residents in the 50s were being investigated by the FBI for their communist tendencies. W.E.B. Du Bois lived there. Mm -hmm. um, there was the, the co-founder of the ACLU, a woman named Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. She was investigated and imprisoned in her 60s. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I've got a few more questions if you can hang out and you we bet. can talk a little bit more about the Chelsea Girls. Tell your book club to hang on for a second. The Public Library Podcast will continue in a moment. Hi, my name is Jill Santopolo, author of More Than Words, and you're listening to the Public Library Podcast. We are back on the Public Library Podcast. It's been a great time sitting here talking to you about this book. Fiona Davis is my guest. Her book is The Chelsea Girls. Thank you so much for coming back with another wonderful book. Oh, thank you. Thank I you for always supporting the podcast, too. That means so much to me. Well, you know, all my friends, it's like it's like watching all my friends who come on. Yeah. It's so exciting. You're, I love the people you pick, and so it's, it's just... I'm a fanatic. Oh, good. And it's been so much fun. You know, I learned some really interesting things when I read your book always because historical fiction and you really give a nice picture of what the time period is like. What's the Chelsea Hotel like now? Oh, that's such a good question. It has been bought by a corporation and is under renovation to become kind of a boutique hotel, oh. and which I think is awful because it will just sanitize yeah. all the glory um, there's 50 residents still living there under this horrific construction that they're doing. I was inside, and the, the gorgeous central staircase is still there. Mm. I was in one of the apartments, and the stained glass transom window wow. you know, was still in, intact. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And, and it's, it just feels like it's a shame because it has had so many um, permutations of, of 
just artistic and, and, and there's fashion going on and there was, you know, documentaries being shot because it was this accessible building. Yeah. And I think now it's going to be only for the wealthy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to reserve commentary there. <laughs> let's hope not. Let's yeah, hope let's, not. Let's not hope. Yeah. Let's hope that is not the case. What are you reading these days? Oh, good question. I just picked up um, The Nickel Boys okay. and started reading that. And I'm, I'm kind of reading it with one, one hand over one eye because it's just, you know, it's it's so beautiful and you yeah. know it's going to be a pretty harrowing tale. But um, I'm looking forward to, to doing that. I, I just finished City of Girls. Oh, I've heard a lot about that one. It was one. with Gilbert. And yes. again, that's New York Theater, that. but it's in the 40s and it's a very different time. And so she, I, I remember reading an uh, interview where she said she wanted it to be like a champagne cocktail. Nice. And it is. So it's very different from the Chelsea Girls, yet it's the same New York theater world. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah. that's anybody who's reading that would definitely love your book. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's what I'm trying to hammer home. <laughs> <laughs> I fell right into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming you've already worked on your next book, and I decided I'm going to take a guess at which landmark you might be interested oh, in. I do. And I picked the Chrysler Building. Oh, no. Okay. No, it is the New York Public Library. <gasps> Duh! <laughs> Hello. Duh! <laughs> I was just there yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so in my research, I learned that um, in, when it was first opened in 1911, for about uh, 20 years, the superintendent lived in the building in a seven-room apartment inside there with his family. Interesting. So he had a wife and a, a number of kids, and they grew up in the library. And so it's set in, in from the wife's point of view in 1913, and then again in 1993 from a, a curator's point of view who's trying to put together an exhibit. And it's about rare book theft and how women's roles have changed over time. And, uh, yeah, there's a real element of mystery driving through it. I love it. You know, it's interesting. As a kid, I wanted to live in a library. Ah, I mean, it kind of makes sense that, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't go too far from your childhood fantasies. No, no. What real-life Chelsea hotel tenant would you love to have a conversation with? That is such a good question. I would love to chat with Arthur Miller. <gasps> yeah. He lived there um, Soon after his divorce from Marilyn Monroe, he kind of sought refuge there. Um, there was a fashion designer named Charles James mm -hmm. who lived there for years and sounded like he was quite a quite a character. Um, the composer Virgil Thompson. I, I could have a whole dinner party. Oh, with, that with would be whole, neat. How about that? Yeah, because yeah, it's hard to choose just one. There are so many fascinating people living there. Now, do you have a title already for the next book? Yes. Um, it's called The Lions of Fifth Avenue. Oh, I love it. I love it. I cannot wait. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm hoping you'll come back then, too. Oh, of course. I'll okay. be here in a minute. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, find out, um, follow you on social media and things like that, how do they find you? Yeah, my website's FionaDavis.net, and you can find all the links there. On um, Facebook, I'm Fiona Davis Author. And then Twitter and Instagram, I'm Fiona J. Davis. Fiona, thank you so much for coming back and doing the podcast and sharing this wonderful book for you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Another show in the books. Join us for the next episode of the Public Library Podcast, a place to check out books.